But we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2 this week. And we'll, um, we'll do it like we did last week, take it section by section. So we'll read a section of Colossians and then discuss what Paul's talking about there and just kind of, just kind of move that way. So Colossians 2, our first section is going to be verses 1 through 5 in Colossians 2, where Paul writes these words. For I want you to know how much I am struggling for you. And for those in Laodicea, and for those who have not seen me face to face, I want their hearts to be encouraged and united in love, so that they may have the riches of assurance and understanding, and have the knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself, in whom we are hidden, in in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am saying this so that no one may deceive you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit. And I rejoice to see your morale and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Um, Paul here says a couple things that are are very important, but the key is going to be verse 4. But he says this. He says, um, 3 says, uh, well, 2 and 3 says, uh, have the knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself, in whom all are hidden, and in in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, uh, and then he says, I am saying this to you so that no one may deceive you with plausible arguments. He says this, that I want you to know Christ himself. I want you to know that, that all of this, all these mysteries, all these, all these things are hidden in Christ. And there, one of the words Paul says a lot in, the, in, in his writings is the word mystery. And you know what? We are, all of us here, I can't speak to those currently in school, but those who have been out of school for a while, we were educated in an enlightenment mentality. What does that mean? Well, that means this, okay? Everything's quantifiable and qualifiable. The scientific method, you measure it, you observe it, you record it, you duplicate it. I mean, things are provable and quantifiable, and what we've done is we have taken that concept and transferred it to our faith. What does that mean? We as a people are uncomfortable with mystery. We want to know everything. We want to be able to understand everything. We want to be able to solve all the mysteries of faith. And you know what? not possible. I don't understand the notion of the incarnation. The incarnation says that Christ is one of the key doctrines of our faith. Christ is both fully God and fully human. And you know what? I don't understand that. I don't. I don't understand so much of, of Scripture even. But I believe it. And see, to me, that, that's, that's, that is the thing about mysteries that are interesting. There's so much about the gospel and so much about the faith and so much about Scripture that we don't fully understand, that we intellectually want to be able to wrap our minds around, and we just fully can't. And so what we do is we have to, in some ways, bend the knee of our intellect to faith. What does that mean? 
even though I don't fully understand it, I believe it. I don't fully understand the Trinity, yet I believe it. I don't fully understand the virgin birth, yet I believe it. I don't fully understand the notion of the incarnation and who Jesus Christ fully is, but I believe it. There's a mystery to faith that our minds can never fully understand. And one of the great challenges in faith is to be, if not comfortable of that, accepting of that. That's why Paul says over and over and over again the notion of mystery. Mystery. And we, in the West, we, the children of the Enlightenment, struggle with that greatly. Struggle with that greatly. There's things about God that we'll never fully understand. And I'm okay with that. Because of what he does then say. He says this mystery, but then he says in verse 4, I am saying, he says, the mystery that is Christ himself, Christ himself, and I'm saying this is no one may deceive you through plausible arguments. Okay, the mystery that we don't understand really is wrapped up in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. We don't understand all the mysteries of faith, but we do know this. Christ was born what we just said in the creed, Christ was born a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried, third day he rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, will return. That is what we know. And so what happens is, is we so want to understand it that our minds can be taken astray by things that may sound true, plausible arguments, but are not true on Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other sand, ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. It all comes down to Jesus Christ. That's what we said last week. It all comes down to Christ. Jennifer, this morning with the kids, talked about being rooted. Our challenge is to be rooted in Christ. Okay, that's great. See, here's part of the problem, though, is we say these things as Christians, but we don't. You need to be rooted in Christ. We all go, yeah. What does that mean? What does it mean to be rooted in Christ? What does it mean to have Christ as our firm foundation? Because as the church, we're really good about giving platitudes. We're really good about making statements. But we don't always help people think through practically what does that mean? What does it mean to be rooted in Christ? What does it mean to have the mysteries in Christ? To me, this is what it means. John Wesley put forth something called the means of grace. Communion, searching the scriptures, prayer, fasting, Christian, Christian conferencing. I think we are rooted in Christ through our personal spiritual life, reading the Bible, praying. But also through our corporate life, going to church, serving. Being rooted in Christ is not an emotional thing. One of my churches used to fuss at me one time because I didn't, they said I didn't preach enough about sin. They wanted me to talk more about sin. And I've always found that when people want you to talk about sin, they want you to talk about the sins other people are doing. You know, not the sins they're doing. That's what we mean. 
<laughs> they want me to step on their toes, somebody else's toes, not theirs. Um, so, you know, I preached on sin eventually. I preached on racism. You know, they didn't like that one, <laughs> you know, because that's a sin, you know. It's, we all have sins we struggle with. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that in, in, in one second. We're going to talk about what that means to, 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 be, to be sinful and talk of the, the notion of, of sin. But, but within that, um, we, we, we have to understand that it is all summed up and founded upon Christ. We've got to submit ourselves to him through our daily and personal devotional and our corporate life together. We need that. We need our daily life. We need each other. So that's um, Jesus suffered, died, saved by grace. It's so easy to focus on other things. We have to focus on Jesus. We have to focus on Jesus. And we as the church, we, I mean, as the, one of my jobs as your preacher is to give you means to daily ground yourself in Christ. Because if you aren't, you, we will be, if we aren't grounded in Christ, we'll be blown aside by plausible arguments. Things that sound good, but aren't. So when you hear something that sounds good, test it against the scriptures. If it doesn't match up to God's word, then it's not true. It's that simple. So test it against the scripture. Anyway, that's, um, that's section one. Let's look at section two, six through 19. This has some really key verses um, where Paul writes these, these, these words. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Paul kind of hits on again this notion of uh, what is true and what's not. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, not according to Christ. For in him, the fullness of the deity dwells bodily. Okay. Jesus Christ was not just a good man. C.S. Lewis has a great thing called, a great philosophy called liar, lunatic, or Lord. When you read scripture, Jesus Christ, like one of the things we have in our culture, you know, Jesus was just a good man. He was a good moral teacher is what our culture will say sometimes. Okay, here's the thing. When you read scripture, it is apparent that Jesus Christ thought himself to be the son of God. You can't read the gospels and not take away from the gospels an understanding that Jesus Christ understood himself to be the son of God. Okay, so if he thought he was the son of God, he must be one of three things. A liar. He really wasn't the son of God. And are you, going to take, are you going to take moral teachings from someone who's a liar? No, you're not. A lunatic, he wasn't in his right mind. Are you going to take moral teachings from someone who's not in the right mind? Are he was who he says he was, he is Lord. So if you're going to place any validity in the moral teachings of, who Jesus, of what Jesus Christ taught... In his moral commands, love, forgive, turn the other cheek, those things. The only way those teachings have any validity 
is if Jesus Christ is who he says he was. Because if he isn't who he says he was, if he is not the Son of God, if he is not the Lord, if he is not the very Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world, if he is not that, then you're basing your moral life upon someone who's wrong. And you're not going to do that. So one of the questions, one of the key questions we all must decide in our life is this. What do we do with Jesus? Who is he? Who is he? Is he just a good moral teacher? Well, if, he is a, if, you're, if your answer is he's just a good moral teacher, then you really got to think through who he th- the other stuff he said. But if you're going to take his words and apply them to your life and really truly live off them, you've got to in some ways truly believe that he is who he says he is, the Son of God sent to die for the sins of the world, to redeem the world, and will return again. So, Jesus, the one thing we can't just hold him to be, it's just a good teacher. That's just not intellectually honest. He either is who he says he is or he's not. And the question for us to decide is, well, who is he? That's a question only you can decide for yourself. I can tell you what I believe, tell you what the church teaches, but it's up to you to decide who you think he is. Scripture says... It said, Paul just wrote it in verse, in verse, uh, in, 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 uh, in the section, we, in, in verse 9 it was, for in him the fullness of the deity dwells bodily. He's the son of God. 10 says, and you have come to fullness in him who is the head of every ruler and authority. In him you've also were circumcised with the spiritual circumcision by putting off the body of flesh and the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were raised with him through faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with him when he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the records that stood against us with its legal demands. He set them aside, nailing it to the cross. He He disarmed rulers and authorities and made a public example of them triumphing over them. Therefore, do not let anyone condemn you in matters of food and drink or observing festivals or new moons or Sabbaths. These are only a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Do not let let anyone disqualify you, insisting on self-abasement and worship of angels, dwelling on visions, puffed up without cause by a human way of thinking, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nursed and held together by ligaments and sinews, grows with a growth that is from God. Paul here, you see this notion of saying, okay, let's unpack what we talked about towards the end. With the new moons and the Sabbaths and then also the worship of angels. Okay, let's go back to last week. Um, uh, Colossians is written to the letter of the church in, the church in Colossae. Okay, very religiously diverse town. And these early Christians were coming out of a variety of religious traditions. Some of them were Jewish. Some of them were Gentile. And so they were all raised a certain way. They were all raised with a certain religious upbringing that they want to keep holding on to. Even though they have come to Christ, they still feel comfortable in a certain religious tradition that they may not even agree with, but it's what they know. I mean, how many of you have things in your life that just make you feel comfortable 
and you can't even explain it. One day, Holly and I were driving around home. We're talking about back, back around Bogachita. We're talking about, you know, you know, being a Methodist preacher, I've never got to decide where I live. You know, I go where I'm sent. Every place I've ever lived is a place that I was sent to, not a place that, no, I've been very, I've been very happy where I've been. I'm not complaining. I've been very blessed. You know, I'm, I love it here. It was nice to tell somebody, said, how was your vacation? I said, the best part about going on vacation is come back home. I love my bed. My bed's not even that nice. It's mine. I just like it, you know? So, um, but, it was, but, I, but I was saying, we were driving around some back roads to Bogachuda, and she said, would you ever want to live here? I said, you know, I don't know. It feels good, though. I said, but I don't know if this feel, if it feels good just because it's nostalgia. I don't know that I actually want to live here. I just know that it feels good to live here. It just feels good to be here. There are certain things in our life that just feel good, and we don't know why. Because they make us comfortable. They remind us of home. They remind us of our upbringing. They remind us of our parents and our grandparents. Okay, for the people in Colossae, that's what their old religious traditions were. They just felt comfortable. So for the Jewish believers, practicing the Sabbath, observing the new moons or the religious practices of the Jewish faith, it felt comfortable. It just felt like home. It's what they grew up doing. And likewise, for the Gentiles, it felt comfortable for them to do their religious practices practices, because it's what they grew up doing. It just felt like home. It felt like they were kids again. Paul says, no, you don't live your life based upon upon these man-made ideas and even man-made things that are comfortable. You live your life upon Jesus Christ. He is the one that you are rooted upon. You are rooted and you find your life in Christ. Not in these other things, as comfortable as they may feel. They aren't truth. Truth is Christ. And y'all, that's... I was talking with a friend of mine recently that was struggling with making a decision about a choice with his career in a very comfortable setting. Everything was fine. Everything was easy. I mean, it was, he, he'd been this job for a while. He was, he was very comfortable in it. He liked it. Wasn't upset. But he had a chance to do something different that he was feeling called to. But to take this different option would be to leave a place of comfort, a place not necessarily of ease, but a place where he knew how to work the coffee machine, you know? Everything was fine. He was happy. Or he could jump off into the unknown. Something scary. Something that he felt God calling him to. But something scary. And I asked him, I said, let me ask you this. Name me one place in Scripture where God calls people to things that are comfortable. Name me one place in Scripture where God calls his followers to things that are easy. I can't think of one. He called Abraham to leave behind all of his family and everything. Jesus called the disciples to leave behind their nets and their families. Jesus called Paul to leave behind a fast-rising career where he would one day be chief priest probably, to wander around and get beat up. 
See, that's why I heard a preacher say this one time. None of us want to become Christian because we become Christian and God's afraid, we're afraid God's going to call us to be a missionary in Africa. And we don't want to do that. But he said this, show me one person fully living out the gospel that's miserable. And how many of us go about our daily lives and are totally miserable? God may call you to places that are scary. God may call you to places that you don't want to go to. But if he's doing it, he's doing it for your own good and to give you something life-giving. I know it may be scary. I know it. But it's for, your, it's for our own good. It's for something better. Don't be afraid of the unknown. Because God goes with us. Don't be afraid. Paul says in, um, in verse 13 and 14, he says, and When you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all of our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with his legal demands. Okay, you've been forgiven. And that's one of the, one of the key things in Scripture. It says here, And when you were dead in your trespasses, God made you alive. Okay. We've all got a moment in our life we're ashamed of. Most of us probably have several. There's a moment in your life when you were most unlovable. A moment in your life when you were far away from God, when you were probably in open rebellion to God. There's a moment we all go to our graves praying nobody knows about. It was at that moment Christ died for you. Christ died for you when you were most unlovable. Christ died for you when we were at our very worst in our life. Christ didn't die for us because we deserved it. Christ didn't die for us because we've earned it. Christ died for us because God loves us. While we, Paul says in, I think it's in Ephesians or maybe it's in Romans, he says, while we were yet his enemies, Christ Jesus died for us. Okay? You did not earn the death of Christ. It was a gift to you for your redemption and for your salvation. We were dead in our sins. And Christ died for us at that moment. Okay. There's something we need to understand about the notion of sin. Very important. Sins are the actions we take. Sins are the things we do. We all do things that are wrong. You know, the Ten Commandments, lying, you know, envy, immorality. Those are actions that are sins. We all commit sins. Okay. There are sins. But then there's something that Paul talks about in Scripture a lot. Our sinful nature. Okay. Sins are the things we do. Our nature is who we are. And we are all, all born sinful. We as Christians hold to a doctrine called original sin. When Adam and Eve fell, they corrupted the image of God. And so all of us are born with an inclination to do wrong. Now, we're made in God's image, so we also have an inclination to do right. We're not totally worthless. We're not awful. We're just human. 
We're going to choose right. We're going to choose wrong. But every one of us, every one of us has that voice in our head pulling us away from God, don't we? Every one of us is going to have a voice tomorrow saying, don't get up and read your Bible, sleep in. Every one of us. It's part of the human condition. So our sins are the things that we do. Our nature is who we are. And so it isn't just those that are committing sins that need Jesus. We all need Jesus. It isn't just those that are committing sins that need to repent of their actions. But we all need to repent of the sinfulness in our hearts. There's a, a Christian rapper by the name of Lecrae. I know that's probably, probably an interesting concept for some of us. Um, but he has a, a song I love where he says this one line in it. He says, if heaven's not a gift, then I'm not getting in. Yeah. Because I know me. Right, you might not be familiar with Lecrae, but you might know this line. Prone to wander, Lord, I fear it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Come thou fount of many blessings. That's one of the basic doctrines of Christianity. Is that all of us, y'all, it isn't just folks that are lost that need Jesus. Folks that are saved need Jesus. It isn't just folks that are lost that need to repent of their sins and seek his face daily, but all of us need to repent of our sins. That, so that's why nobody's worse than anybody else. That's why folks that are lost aren't worse than folks that are saved. That's why folks that are doing things that you believe and know are wrong aren't worse than anybody else. We're all in need of grace. Because we all have a nature that pulls us from God. And that's why Christ died. So that we can all be drawn closer to him. So the stuff you've done that's wrong, it's been erased. It's been nailed to a tree. It has been forgiven. You are forgiven. You are. So, well, um, we'll close with this last section, 20 through following. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the universe, why do you live as though you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. All these regulations refer to things that perish with use. They are simply human commands and teachings. They have indeed an appearance of wisdom and through promoting self and piety, piety, humility, and severe treatment of the body. But they are no value in checking self-indulgence. Okay, what is Paul talking about there? Legalism. I, we talked about sin and sinful. I do think there are, there's another concept we've got to understand. And that's the notion of what it means to be, to be righteous. It doesn't mean to be legalistic. Legalism is a checklist. Oh, if I do boom, 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 then I'm good. If I do these five things here, then I'm good and taken care of. And if you don't do these five things, then you're a bad person. 
We all have our legalistic impulses. If I just do this, everything's fine. It's all good. Jesus here says that, Paul says, okay, that's good, but it has an appearance of piety. But it doesn't actually check self-indulgence. Christianity is not a checklist religion, y'all. We're not a check. Now, we have the Ten Commandments and things like that. But we're not, you know the only checklist Jesus gave you? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Okay, that'll take, the, take us the rest of our life to figure out, huh? Because love God. We love God by submitting to him through Scripture. We love God by worshiping him. We love God by being part of this community. We love God through our personal devotional life. We love our neighbor by loving our neighbor and genuinely wanting the best thing for our neighbor. We are not, I think one of the things we struggle with, we see it here talking, okay, I just spent a good portion of the sermon talking about sin. Does that make me a hypocrite? Because I'm sinful? Yeah, I guess. Because I'm pretty messed up. I am. I'm sinful. I will never tell you that I'm not broken and sinful because I am. And I will say this. If you expect perfection of your pastor, you'll, you'll be disappointed. Because only one person died for your sins, and that was Jesus Christ. I'm not looking to do something stupid or say something stupid, but it's 50-50, you know, you know? Just saying. Every day I wake up with a job, I'm happy, you know? So I'm going to do my best not to fail you. But I'm going to make mistakes. I am. Every human will. It's okay. We, if we can admit our brokenness and our, admit our need for Jesus, we can help others in their brokenness find Jesus. It's not about being self-righteous. It's about being holy. And holiness is about submitting yourself to God clinging tightly to his grace, admitting your mistakes, and trying to be faithful. You know what? Sometimes the most Christian thing you can do is this. Admit when you've got it wrong. Because we model for the fact that it's not about it. We model the fact that it's not about us at that point. What the world doesn't understand is how we can be, take stands on morals but then mess up ourselves, huh? Well, here's how. I'm not standing on my own morality. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm anything. I'm not. I'm just a guy from Bogotá. all I am. Hopefully God's working on me. And I'm going to do my best to submit my life to him. But he can transform me and transform you. And it's not about me being a better person. It's about Jesus Christ changing all of us. Loving him and loving each other. That's our challenge. Living out the gospel is taught to us through scripture. Being faithful. May we find the grace to be rooted in Christ to do these things. Let us pray.